Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. This is, a, this is kind of one of, the, it's one of those passages that we can talk about it being uh, an end times prophecy. We can talk about it being prophecy that's already been historically fulfilled, um, because that is the power of prophecy, is that it, um, it sort of gives us all these different windows through which to see the kingdom and the kingdom coming. And so as you're in the major prophets, I want to encourage you, um, ask the Lord to say, to show you, okay, are there places, you'll read commentators and theologians, historians who say, oh yes, this prophetic word was fulfilled when this thing happened. And this prophetic word was already fulfilled when this thing happened. And I'll tell you, there's a safety in only seeing prophecy as having already been historically fulfilled. There's a safety in that that we need to stay away from. I prefer saints, I know it's a big shocker, I prefer the risk. I prefer the risk of saying, all right, maybe this has begun to come to pass. But I believe with my whole heart that until we're standing before Jesus face to face, until the bride has gone up to meet him in the air, until we are forever in glory, this stuff is still open. These accounts are still open. Many of them require our attention to understand what's going on today. And so I'm going to begin reading in Isaiah chapter 2. It says, the word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Interesting, right? Now we can see Judah and Jerusalem as a political, geographical place, and we can also recognize it as a bigger picture the bride, the church, having been grafted into these folks. Now, it will come about, in verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east. And they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Anybody watch the news? Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Modern America. Their land has also been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased, and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord 
alone will be exalted in that day. I believe that while we can point to current events and say, oh no, nation is still rising up against nation, army against army, sword is still being lifted, bullets are still being fired, bombs are still going off. I believe that we are crossing a threshold into this day. Now it will come about, I will say it is coming about. The mountain of the house of the Lord is being established and raised above other hills. Every friend that I talk to who uh, has, has done short-term or long-term missions in the Middle East, all the way to my neighbor's mom who lives in Jerusalem, is a Christian, and the Lord moved her over there years and years ago, and we had him over for dinner one night, and, and all of the mission's work that is going on over there, it is the most effective, fruitful missions work I have ever seen or heard of. Like the stories coming back of like, I, I was, one missionary I heard was talking about how he was in like a condo type house and there were a, a family right on the other side of a fence in this little backyard. And he said, one day goes out, I can't remember all the details of the story, but here's the guy, it's like home improvement, like right over the fence, you know, and they're like talking like this on tiptoes. And like this on tiptoes in one conversation over the fence, it's like as easy as a what must I do to be saved? And the guy receives the gospel and the family of the house gets saved. That's how missions is, that's how evangelism, that's how ministry is happening in Jerusalem right now. Because the house of the Lord is being established and raised up as a mountain among hills. And while yes, there are still hills and there are still high places and there are still idols being bowed to, I'm here to tell you that for such a time as this, the name of the Lord is being made great in that land. The law, it says right here, it says, the law and the word of the Lord let me read that to you because I think it's interesting. Yeah, I can't find it. It's in there somewhere. The law and the word of the Lord are being united and reconciled in the hearts of men. The Bible says he will judge and render decisions for many people. Interesting that at the time when this was written, there was only the law. There was only the Torah. When Isaiah was prophesying, there were the first five books of the Bible, right? And, and pro prophecy was being written and acknowledged uh, and taught, but it wasn't being like canonized like we see uh, when, when all of the old and new are gathered together and added to the Torah. And so what's interesting is when he's talking about the law and he's talking about the word of the Lord, here it is. Thank you, Pastor John. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, when you flash forward into modern day, the biggest division in that part of the world is between the law and the word. The biggest division. See, uh, Old Testament or cessationist people that believe that the, the Lord is no longer speaking, uh, they, they say, well, the law and the word are one. But we who know that while, yes, there's no new revelation, 
with the closing of the canon. God isn't saying anything different than he's ever said, but he's still speaking. He's just speaking in agreement, in alignment, and in application with the written word. The problem is, is the division between those two things has been a huge rift among the people of God. Even in modern America, even in the Northeast, especially in the Northeast, our churches, there's such a schism between schism, schism, schnatzum. I don't know what it is. I want to, I think it's German. It comes from the German schnatzum. But what happens is, what happens is in this time, as the house of the Lord is being established, as his authority is rising up, we're beginning to seek the father's heart in both the law and the word. And now you realize that these aren't actually two separate things, that he's not disagreeing with himself. He's not adding commas or periods. He's not changing his heart. I love these churches that have these banners that say God is still speaking. And I want to just go up and spray paint, but he hasn't changed his mind. But I did that a couple of times and uh, Dave had to bail me out. So I don't, you know... I don't want to be an impose or whatever with the radicalness, but what I want to say is the Lord is reuniting. He's reconciling in the hearts of man the law and the word. We're able to hear him. Our, we're able to, to yield and understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. My sheep know my voice. Well, we know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but we're still his sheep, so there's still a voice we must know. And that's the voice of the Holy Spirit being spoken. That's the heart of the Father being manifest through the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead that's now alive in us. And if we err too much on that side and get all willy-nilly, we lose the power of the written word of God. But if we're going to die on this mountain and refuse to believe that he's still speaking, we lose the fresh fire of today. It's got to be reconciled, and it's happening now as the mountain of the Lord is being lifted up. People are looking to God for answers like never before. And even though some are still misguided, saints, I believe that the mountain of the house, the place where people meet with God, is becoming preeminent. It's not even that hard to believe. I mean, all it takes is disaster. All it takes is tragedy. I heard somebody talking a while back about the six months following 9-11. The church was a, a more profoundly united force than it had been since the last great awakening. All it took was a terrorist attack and thousands and thousands of people losing their lives. That's all it took. Why? Why does it take that? Why, do, why, why does it have to come at such great cost to us? Because we want the mountain of God down with all the other hills. We want, we want the mountain of God not to stick out or stand out. We want, we want the mountain of God to be this thing that's like, well, yeah, I go there on Sundays, but then I go everywhere else every other day of the week. What's happening right now, saints, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run from it. Don't. Don't get scared by it. This is prophecy coming to pass. God is doing whatever it will take to get the mountain of the Lord out among the rest. That long-standing discrepancy between religion and relationship, it's dissolving. The think versus feel is becoming just knowing the Father's heart. 
And that's where we want to go this morning. Um, <clears throat> I, I felt the Lord hone in especially on this one line. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Anybody who thought that it was the prophet Don Henley who first penned those words? It wasn't. Anybody? Anybody, anybody listen to 80s rock? No, okay. Never mind. I'll have to wait for the second service. <clears throat> the end of the innocence? No, okay. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. There's a difference, saints, between plowing with a sword and turning your sword into a plowshare. We talked over the last couple of weeks about how there's a, a seasonal shift in ministry. We talked about how generals are needing to become fathers. And this morning, I will say fathers are going to need to become farmers. Because the season the Lord is bringing us into is a season of harvest. It's a season of sowing and reaping with the emphasis on the reaping. And if we can't get out of that warfare mindset, it's not that there won't still be battles that need to be fought. It's not that there won't still need to be ground that has to be taken. But what it is, is as the seasons change, there are times and, and hours and moments. And we preached a while back on the sons of Issachar and how God uh, set aside a tribe for himself specifically to know the seasons and the times, to know what was important and when. And I believe that part of that discernment and part of that wisdom is being imparted to us right now as his people. And part of understanding the seasons and times is knowing when to take your sword and your spear and hammer them into a plow and a pruning hook. I think for years we, we've wanted the weapons of warfare, we've wanted the spiritual weapons to be sort of like this Swiss army knife kind of thing where we just pull one tool from our pocket and whatever that is, I'm a sword guy. So, okay, so when it comes time to plow, I just stick my sword in the ground and try to like rake it back. I can kind of get the similar effect. You kind of can. But how many of you know that there's a tool for that? Like a real tool, like a, like a thing that you actually need to do that with. And I believe with my whole heart that that's why the Lord calls for this. Because he says, okay, out of season, sowing and reaping, and, and you're, a, you're a warrior, you're, you're, you're handy with the, seer, with the spear or the, the bow and the arrow or whatever it is. Okay. But during this seasonal shift, we've got to be discerning and listening. And if you're in the room this morning and your operational mode is to fight, I ask that you would quiet your soul long enough to ask if the Holy Spirit is saying farm. It's time to plant. It's time to grow. It's time to harvest. It's time to reap. The seeds that have been sown under the protection of the sword have now yielded fruit. And even though the harvest today could be greater if we had heard the word of the Lord and obeyed it in the last generation, I believe that what we're seeing right now is still a harvest that's ready for the kingdom of heaven. 
The difference between the difference between plowing with a sword and turning your sword into a plowshare is heat and hammer. Heat and hammer. If you were really somebody with tools like a, like a sword and a spear, and you wanted to work those things into uh, agricultural implements, you would get a fire going. That'd be the first thing you would do. You'd get a fire going, and you'd make sure that that fire was hot. You would get everything stockpiled and ready to burn. You would, ha- you would have that thing, the bellows pumping and the air moving through those coals, and you would have that thing like blue, white, hot. Then you'd get your hammer, and then you'd go to work. Saints, this call for this season will require the heat and the hammer. The heat, and I'll say hard work. When your muscle memory has grown expert at wielding a sword or throwing a spear, when everything inside of you has wired itself together to survive on the battlefield, the hardest work sometimes is learning how to swing that hammer again. The hardest work is is learning how to tend to that fire. Because like we talked about in our worship in the integration of heaven and earth, we're being moved from surviving to thriving. The Lord is drawing us against all odds and as a big fat smack in the face to the satanic forces that are at work in this area, the people of God are being called into a season of fruitfulness, thriving. I'll call it the fat of the land. I'm not buying all this like, oh, God's people are going to have to go hide in holes right now. I'm not buying that. There may be a time coming, but this time that we're in, we are still experiencing in the spirit a revival that is enough to live off of, not just survive, but thrive and flourish in the name of Jesus. There's this work against like, there's like this, this thrust against like positive prophecy. It's so, it, it's boggling to me. And if you're listening to that crap, shut it off, shut it off. And, and, and realize that everything we see, we see through the blood of Jesus. And I don't care if all hell breaks loose in the streets of New England. I am thriving. You, son of God, daughter of God, are thriving. I don't care what plagues the world. Our minds have been set free, renewed, and we're being transformed by the power that he's given us. Be set apart for the love. All right. So let's talk about this for a second. Any spiritual transformation. If you're in the room and you're saying, I know that this season is for me. I know I'm being called to make a shift, to make a change. I'm going to say to you, any spiritual transformation requires heat and hard work. It requires heat and the hammer. Repetitious behavior. Repetitious behavior. Now, this is key, too, because Terrace just had a word. Terrace, it was a dream, really. Are you in here? Terrace, yeah, I see you. I know Terrace because it's like big, beautiful hair next to, like, this older guy. So that's how I can tell. She's, like, six inches shorter next to, I see, yeah. Okay, there she is right there. There, Terrace. 
I honor our elders here like that, so thank you. <laughs> Terrace had a dream, and it was a warning dream. It was a dream of caution for me against repetitious behavior. Um, repetitious, just hitting, just hitting. And the, the thing that went along with it was when Moses hit the rock in disobedience. And uh, what's interesting about repetitious behavior is we see the Lord speak against it, right? We see the Lord say, hey, don't pray the repetitious prayers of the heathen, right? We see there's this sort of like, hey, don't do this thing of just pounding, just banging, just beating your head against the wall, just beating a dead horse. It's futile and it's fruitless. And yet there are, there's other repetitious behavior that's called for, right? We see other things. We see the persistent widow being given favor. We see, you know, the, the, the fervency called for, even in our own prayer lives, we see the, the consistent and commitment of God's people being honored and heard and seen in heavenly places. And so the difference between fruitless repetitious behavior and fruitful repetitious behavior is heat. You can get your hammer out and beat your sword until you're blue in the face, until your arm falls off. But unless you apply the heat of the Holy Spirit to soften those things, to prepare those things for the hammer, you just end up destroying what you have. You just end up blunting the edge of your weaponry. And there's the church. There's the church caught in the middle, not knowing, always showing up late to the party, to the battle bringing a knife to a gunfight. There's the church throughout history. Why? Because we're too busy fighting the conflict between the law and the word. We're too busy taking our swords and trying to chisel down that mountain so it looks like every other hill. This season is calling for the intentionality of the heat and the hammer. It's calling for, for, yes, there will be a repetitious behavior of swinging that hammer, but it's not repetitious forever. It's consistent, and it's committed, and it's surgical, and it's precise, and it's paying attention. It's careful. It's careful to take whatever it is that the Lord has given us and to shape it, to manipulate it, and to shift it into what this season calls for. The heat and the hammer. The heat is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. The heat is that crucible where, where we're called to come and stay and not leave. And I get it. I get how hard it is. Zach, you work at a church, so, you know, everything must just be, you know, kumbaya 24-7. It's not. It's not. He won't. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, it may require a little more preparation. It may require having more kindling on hand. It may require getting down and going. This is my microphone. Nobody else uses this microphone. So. I was just thinking, like, somebody probably thinks that's gross, but I keep all my germs right here. I just, I want to encourage you, saints, do whatever you got to do to keep it stoked. 
go to, I mean, you know, there was a time when religion told us to be in church every time the doors were open. And so you had to go on the Sunday night service and the Wednesday night service and the Tuesday night prayer meeting and the Saturday night thing and the whatever Saturday morning men's breakfast and the women's retreat this and the this event and that serve team thingamajigger. And you'd have to go to every single one of them because of religion. I'm wondering if the enemy was using religion to build up a tolerance to those things so that we were doing what we actually needed to do, but out of guilt instead of out of freedom. So that when we were set free, we thought we didn't have to go anymore. When really, for freedom, he set us free. And so I wonder if today, if some of us were saying, man, I don't need to do the greenhouse thing. That's, you know, that's just another night of the week. It's another night to keep that fire white hot. It's another confrontation, spiritual confrontation, where, where you allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to, to look at you and to, to call out what needs to have some of you guys are like, I'm definitely not going now. <laughs> it's better than that. It's not all that. You know, they're doing stuff. It's awesome. Every testimony has just been like, whoa, like God's really working in these things. People are experiencing freedom and transformation in living rooms and not having to wait until Tuesday night or Sunday morning or whatever else. We, we, you can't expect to keep a fire hot living paycheck to paycheck in the spirit. That's not what we were called to do. That's surviving. This is thriving. The heat and the hammer. Lord, help us. Help us to undergo the hammer. God, teach us. Teach us, Lord, where repetitious behavior has been done in disobedience. Lord, maybe we think we're going to obtain results this way, the way we did the old way. God, forgive us for where we've turned a, a deaf ear to the voice of your spirit or where we've closed our Bibles and said, okay, I understand it now. God, I pray that your bride would be reawakened and quickened to the need to know you more. One more note on swords and spears. Swords and spears are designed to push people away. Everything is sort of like outward facing. These are, these are offensive weapons. And, and if it's a sword, if it's a spear, if it's a bow, an arrow, if it's a whatever, you know, on Tuesday night, we were even talking about a full arsenal of prayers and praying this prayer for like every different kind of, of prayer anointing to come on this body. And um, what's interesting is that while we should be outward facing as the church, our tools, when our tools are outward facing, they end up pushing the world away. That's what happens. If somebody comes at you with a sword and a spear, you're going to start moving backwards. Well, the, the world is no different. The world is no different. Plows, however, are downward facing. There's a new direction some of us need to learn. Downward facing. And pruning hooks pull fruit in. It's a hook on the end of a long pole. Actually, it doesn't take much to turn a spear into a hook. It's a lot of fire and a little hammer. And now, all of a sudden, that thing was, that was offensive outward is now designed to reach fruit that would otherwise be out of reach and pull it in. A number of years ago, we talked about Ephesians 4.11 and how 
that word equipping, when it says that the fivefold ministry gifts were given for the equipping of the saints, the, the equipping comes from the Greek word katarmanzo, and it literally had two, two real-world applications at the time. It meant the setting of broken bones and the repairing of broken nets, the mending of broken fishing nets. And I was talking way back then. We were probably two and a half years old as a church. And way back then, we were talking about how in this region, the Lord, through, through repentance and through active forgiveness, the church was, the, was having broken bones reset, rebroken and reset. And we were seeing it in our body. We were seeing people come in, and, and you'd have a family come in and, and be here for a couple months and then another family come through the door. Now, this was back when the church was much smaller, like less than 250 people. And you couldn't hide. It was well lit. We didn't have a dark room. It wasn't like the Macy's well lit, like the returning of the Son of Man. But it was, it was well lit. And all windows across the back, no lobby. You couldn't like just hang out in the lobby. There was no pipe and drape where people would like stand behind and peek out, being like, I don't know if so-and-so's here today, you know? So what you did, and then people stood. <laughs> anyway. The pipe and drape are like kind of a joke, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't believe me, ask the uh, King's Academy teachers who are trying to teach inside a pipe and drape classroom. Uh, it's a joke, really, is what it is. Um, people like have screaming babies, like they're screaming bloody murder, and they pick them up and they walk behind the pipe and drape during church. <laughs> and the only thing worse than a screaming bloody murder baby is a muffled screaming bloody murder baby. Because then you're like, who's trying to like smother that child? But then I realized it's not really to get the baby quieter. It's so you can't see them. Well, there was a time in our church when you couldn't hide. You couldn't hide with your baby and you couldn't hide with your unforgiveness. And so what happened was people would come in and they'd be here for a couple months and they would be like finally like breaking free of bondage and religion and chains and all stuff. And people are like worshiping like Jesus is coming back because he is. And then lo and behold, Nice, bright, beautiful Sunday morning like today, and here comes another family through the door. Well, don't you know that that family that came through the door was on the board of the last church that kicked the other family out? You can't hide. You can't hide. And it was forcing this reconciliation. And, and it was forcing, and we saw people, we saw somebody take somebody else by the hand, as Jamal talked about this morning, we didn't even get to communion because the Spirit of God was there convicting people and they'd take somebody by the hand and walk them down to the altar and they would just weep in each other's arms as the Lord supernaturally restored the brotherhood and the friendship there. And it didn't just happen once. I'm telling you, there is a restoring of what's going on here. And if we will allow him to shift these weapons of warfare, these, these things that we've used to fight each other into things designed to bring in the harvest, to sow and to reap. We've pushed each other away with those weapons. It's time that we begin to create something that's downward facing, a movement among the bride that's, that's downward facing, that will be happy to find the low place, that will be happy to look at everyone else as greater than themselves. It's time that we shift those weapons into things that bring in the fruit. There's so much fruit, and you know, 
if you're short, like we have a short family, like our whole, like me and my wife and all of our kids were all short. My dad was tall and I didn't get it. And I don't think any of the rest of us get it. We're all like miniature. I remember my mother-in-law was over one night. <laughs> my mother-in-law was over one night and this is kind of weird. So I'm only going to say this in the first service. But for some reason, she needed something to wear. And she went up into our, oh, she got thrown up on. Yeah. I don't know what, probably she was casting a demon out of one of my kids or something. And so uh, Linda Blair ended up throwing, anyway. So she, so she gets puked on. So she's got, that, that's an important detail, right? So she's got to change her shirt. So she goes upstairs, like everybody wants their mother-in-law to do at their house. She goes upstairs into our room and starts going through our drawers. Comes down frustrated, like way too long later. And uh, she's like, I can't find anything to wear in this little people house. <laughs> and I'm like, Doreen, you're like shorter than me. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. She likes to cuff her jeans, I guess. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the fruit that uh, the short bride has been able to reach. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, okay? When the kingdom comes, there's fruit everywhere. When the seasonal shift takes place, there's fruit everywhere. But a lot of times we settle for the easy targets. We settle for the low-hanging fruit. And I think it was the prophet Steve Miller that said, the best peach is at the top of the tree. And saints, what I, I believe the Lord is calling us to do is reach, to reach to stretch out beyond ourselves and get a hold of the, the best of what he has. What's growing up there is also likely fruit that has not been affected by a lot of the low stuff. You know, if you garden, you know that the low stuff has the most pests on it. It's got the most parasites, the stuff from the soil and everything else that can, can reach it does. So we come along and we settle for that instead of saying, no, this world, this region, New England, is full of fruit. We've got we've to stop stabbing at it with our spears and making twice the son of hell that we are ourselves. Like Jesus says, y'all are having trouble. It's, you're, you're making it hard to be converts. And when you do, you screw it up. Why? Because we need the heat and the hammer. We need the heat and the hammer. Zach, I got the rest of the world coming down on me all the time. Do I really need to subject myself? Do I really need to submit myself to more whatever from, from in church? Do I, can't I just come here and get a motivational talk once a week and, you know, drop a couple dollars in the kiosk and call it a day? Sing a few upbeat songs that make me feel good about myself and remind me that I'm always going to win and everything's going to be cups, cakes, and unicorns until he comes back? No. No, that season is over. There was a grace on it. Maybe, kind of. Like, kind of a grace. A greasy grace, as somebody called it. Who called it? Was that you? Bill Johnson? No, we can't say that without paying him royalties. I can't say that second service. Just kidding. Because Bill gets it. Bethel gets it. We get it. We just got to lean into it. 
I believe part of the rediscovery and reapplication of the apostolic gifting is to call the church into this season. The gifts have to be brought into alignment with each other. Ministries have to come together. We've got to figure out how all of this stuff is woven together into the tapestry of the kingdom that's coming. I'm going to close right here. Would you stand with me? Isaiah goes on to talk about influences from the east. And I want to make two quick points this morning, and that is this. A land filled with money and treasure is a land filled with idols. He says it. The land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols. America is a land of treasure. Work of our hands. That literally is the American dream. Literally the American dream. If you come and you work hard, you can create your own idol and then spend the rest of your life bowing down and worshiping it. You create a life for yourself that gets the best of you, all of you. It's, it's totally, totally counterintuitive to the kingdom paradigm. But a land filled with silver and gold is filled with idols. Because anything that we value runs the risk of being valued too much. A land filled with horses and chariots begins to worship its own ability to defend itself. We don't need the Lord of Heaven's armies. We've got our own. We don't need heaven's firepower. We, we've, we've created nuclear fusion, and, and we know how to blow stuff up. I, I, I don't believe in, in political weakness or, or social weakness. I believe in a, in a nation that it has the ability and the power to defend itself. And I believe that this nation that we live in has the potential to be among the greatest in how we can serve the kingdom, in how we can defend Israel, and how we can uh, come alongside the widows and the orphans, and how we can empower the church to lead us. But this whole thing is about humbling us. The whole thing. In fact, in verse 9, it says, so the common man has been humbled and the man of importance has been abased. Verse, verse 10, enter the rock and hide in the dust. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. It's the same rock in Exodus. The Lord speaks to his friend Moses. And he says, I'm going to bring you up into my presence. And I want you to stand by me. But there's a place there, there's a rock. And I'm going to hide you in it. You're not going to see my face, but you're going to see my glory. It's a low place. It's a hiding place. 
It's a quiet place and a safe place, but it's a place where the people of God belong. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. This is not a season to exalt yourself. This is not a season to build for yourself anything. This is a season to hold it all before the Lord. Sword, spear, whatever you've got, hammer. God, give me the blueprints. Show me what's coming. We're going to close in prayer. But if you're in the room this morning, Pastor John, could I get your crew to just move these tables forward a little bit? If you're in the house this morning and you're sensing that seasonal shift, you know that the Lord is calling you maybe away from the battlefield and back to the farmland. Maybe there's an orchard out back and you've been looking at it through the window and you can see the fruit forming, but you haven't had the time to be able to go out and harvest it because you're too busy with dealing with the anxiety and the nervousness and the fear that this battle isn't going to pull back. Well, this isn't about the battle pulling back. It's about you moving forward into a new season. And if you're in the house this morning and you have a sword or you have a spear, you know how to fight and you said, okay, Lord, what do you want? You want a plowshare? You want a pruning hook? Let's go. Step out of your seat right now and meet me in the fire. Don't come lightly because he's got a hammer in his hand. This isn't the kind of fire where you sit at a safe distance and roast marshmallows and make some s'mores. That's not what's going on here. We are in a time when the Lord is reconciling. He's bringing peace where there's been no peace. He's bringing hope where there's been no hope. He's bringing together the promises of his word and the life and the light that he speaks. But he's looking for an army, an army that is so confident in his victory that they will stick their sword and their spear into the white hot coals of this fire and say, okay, let's go shape me. An army that will surrender itself to the heat of that flame and to the, to the repetition of that hammer to say, shape me, God. Where I've doled myself, where I've made myself ineffective. I'm not even good for the battle anymore. Some of us feel that way this morning. But listen to the word of the Lord. When you go in the fire, you're going to come out whatever it is that he's shaping you as. That's why we love the presence here. Clang, 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 clang. Lord, where we've been outward facing, where we've been on the offensive, out of survival mode, out of uh, fear for just keeping us and our little families alive or whatever it is, and we've, we've been constantly pushing out with our points and our sharp edges and our, and our weapons God, give us the grace this morning, the heat and the hammer 
to bend those things till they're downward facing. Till our time spent is on our faces in that fire so that we come out no longer pushing the fruit away, but pulling it in, bringing it closer, gathering the harvest for such a time as this. We cast down our idols, Lord. We enter the rock and we hide in the dust. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.